listening to Rumination Tuesday on this May the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2022. And we're taking a look at a hymn at the Lamb's High Feast. High Feast. It's a hymn that reflects the ancient Christian observance of when people have been catechized. After a period of going through catechism, converts joined the church in the waning darkness of Easter dawn. Following baptism, the neophytes were clothed with clean white garments representing their newfound righteousness in Christ and were ushered in the earliest hours of the morning to the assembly of believers to receive the Lord's Supper. It is a hymn of the day for Easter 5 in all three lectionary cycles and is also appropriate during the Easter vigil, though the altar book does not offer recommended hymnody at that service due to its length. The mention of the Paschal Lamb in stanza 3 and Easter Triumph in stanza seven, makes this hymn especially appropriate during the Easter season. The author is unidentified. We don't know who the author was, but it is found in the fifth century, this new hymn. So we're gonna be taking a look at it. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at it with Pastor Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Hey, that, that uh, it's good to hear that hymn. Beautiful. Yes. Yes, it's really a good tune. And I, I, I know that you used it last week. Did the congregation sing it? Oh, yes. We, we sang it during distribution. And, um, you know, it's such a beautiful hymn. I can hardly believe it was written already in the 5th fifth, fifth century. Isn't that something? Yes. It's it's got such a I don't know, it's it's it it's got such a lively tune and uh uh such a contemporary sound really. I mean it's always it's God's truth and good hymnody is always contemporary, really. That's the way I look at it. It helps us to understand that yes, Martin Luther really brought great understanding to the Bible by grace through faith on account of Christ, but that was the 16th century, whereas 10 centuries before, they had hymns like this that would not disagree with what Luther was saying. So no. that theology was also present back then. Yeah, and, and you know, Luther, 
Luther praised very highly good music. I mean, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he he placed it right next to the gospel as far as chasing the devil away. And the reason for that is it contains the means of grace, which is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so when they sing it, they hear about what Jesus Christ has done for us. So without further ado, could you start, start with stanza one? Okay. At the Lamb's high feast we sing praise to our victorious King, who has washed us in the tide, flowing from his pierced side. Alleluia. Now, the first question would be, when does the Lamb's high feast occur? Well, you know, I think for a number of years, I, for some reason I pictured this as uh, the Lamb's High Feast is when we're all gathered in that new heaven and new earth, and we're yes. all feasting with our Lord Jesus. But it's talking, it's talking here about the Lord's Supper. Exactly. Every, yes. Lord's, every Lord's Supper is the, is the Lamb's High Feast. That's right. And we praise our victorious King, who is Jesus Christ, because... He has washed us in the tide, flowing from his pierced side. What's that referring to? Well, of course, that's uh, uh, referring partly to the fact that Jesus' side was pierced with a lance to reveal whether he was dead or not, when the the soldiers pierced him with a lance and outflowed water and blood. And it also, of course, the idea that we, we drink his blood at the Lord's table. Yes, well said, well said. All right, I'll do stanza two. Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred blood for mine, gives his body for the feast, Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Now, last week it talked about that Jesus is both our lamb and shepherd. And I said, how can you be a lamb and a shepherd at the same time? And I got into the theology of vocation. Like, you have a number of vocations, Mark. You're a a son, a a grandson, a a father, a pastor, a teacher. You're on the radio. And each of those vocations, and there are many more, they have certain responsibilities. And that's how I was understanding Jesus as a lamb was the responsibility of dying on the cross for us. And as a shepherd, he takes us to verdant pastures, green pastures, and besides still waters. So here we have a second, Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Now, how's that understood? Well, he's he's the sacrifice that makes... Uh, his high priest uh, available to us, and uh, uh, he, he's the victim. He's the Lamb of God who was alt- uh, who was sacrificed on the altar of the cross, and yet he's also he's also the host at his own uh, table at his own uh, holy supper. He's the host. Uh, we pastors we're just we're just his mouthpiece and his servants, but he's he's the true host at the Lord's supper. Yes, when you hear the terms Christ and victim, uh, as priest and victim, then the priest normally did the sacrifices. 
And in this case, Jesus is both the priest doing the sacrifice, and the sacrifice, of course, is he becomes the victim. That's right. And that is what he did willingly. The disciples were shocked when he was put on the cross on Good Friday, when they should not have been shocked because he had already told them he was going there to die, but also would rise in three days, which hardly anybody believed. All right. Yeah. Yes. You 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 were going to say something? I was thinking about it, but I'll, I'll hold off. I'll hold off till later. <laughs> All right. Stands the three. Okay. Where the Paschal blood is poured, death's dread angel sheathed the sword. Israel's host triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Alleluia. That's of course uh, uh, reminiscent of uh, well one of the one of the Old Testament readings that we use every three years at uh, on Easter is the uh, the passing through the the Red Sea of the children of Israel and uh, and the drowning of the Egyptian uh, chariots behind them and that's a reference to this but you know what I think is neat is where where it says where the paschal blood is poured death's dread angel sheathes the sword in other words he he puts the sword away he can do nothing uh in the face of the blood of the of the lamb yes and that reminds us of the time that he did not sheathe the sword and that was on well the night of the passover passover where the oldest Human and animal died in the household. Right. But here, here at the Holy Supper, uh, he, he, he gladly, you know, he, he must sheathe his sword because uh, it's, like, it's like he sees the blood on the doorposts and lintels and passes over us. Yes. Same thing with, same thing with uh, God's children as we partake of the Lord's Supper. That's, uh, we're, we're, cloaked in his robe of righteousness, and uh, death's dread angel must sheathe his sword, can do nothing against And us. that's because we have our trust in the cross of Christ. Exactly. Just like they had their trust when they put in the blood, blood of over the, the doorway. Yes. Right. That's right. So very, very, you know, I've often said this, that though they have three or four Bible passages at the bottom of these hymns, you could really have about 20 Bible passages for a hymn like this. Oh, I know. That's it's why really beautiful. For a, fifth, for a fifth century hymn, it's just, it's just a beautiful hymn. I'll tell you, you know, a lot of times we think of those early, early believers, early Christians as being pretty, you know, pretty primitive, but they were not. I'll tell you, they, uh, we stand on their, on their shoulders. Um, and they stand on the Word of God, of course. And that's where stanza four, which I'll read, comes in. Okay. Praise we Christ, whose blood was shed, Paschal victim, Paschal bread. With sincerity and love, eat the manna from above. A continuation of the history of Israel going through the wilderness. Right. I, I don't think 
a lot of people, when they take the Lord's Supper, recognize it as a miracle like the manna was. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed it is. Just as, just as baptism is a miracle. In fact, I'm teaching a Bible study right now, every Thursday, on miracles. And uh, this is indeed a miracle, even though the world will never, the world will never uh, uh, see it that way. But uh, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle in, in, the, in the sense that it's the Lord's very presence, the very presence of his body and blood under the bread and wine. And, uh, and what it does for us, it bestows upon us forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. I mean, if that isn't a miracle, what is? Yes. Eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins. That's right. Which, of course, is the main teaching of the Christian faith. You don't find that forgiveness of sins in any other religion. No. That comes from God. It's only in Christianity. And it's a pure gift. We don't have to we don't have to to beat ourselves bloody or anything like that in order to uh, in order to have it bestowed upon us. It's a free free gift. I always like using the distinction we do not merit it. Right. But we instead what? Inherit it. Inherit it. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And people understand that. They go to work, they merit their paycheck. But if someone dies and leaves their a, a gift of funds, that's an inheritance. That's right. They haven't worked for it, etc. So that's what Christianity is all about, inheritance. All right. Stanza five. Stanza five. Mighty victim from the sky, hails fierce powers beneath you lie. You have conquered in the fight. You have brought us life and light. Alleluia. Another, another terrific ver verse. Mighty victim from the sky. The, the, continuing that picture of Christ the victim, Christ the priest. He's from the sky. And, uh, and that's, I think this is pointing ahead to his uh, his return, his second coming, when he returns with all of his holy angels. And at that time, of course, hell's fierce powers will be beneath him. In fact, what's that verse? How's that verse go? Uh, I will, let's see, I will, uh, I'll, I'll put death beneath you. I'll, uh, help me, help me, Tom. What verse, you know the verse I'm thinking of? Where uh, death is placed between under his feet. You can't think of it either. <laughs> yes, we're looking at, at that uh, verse, mighty victim from the sky, hell's fierce powers beneath you lie. You have conquered in the fight. You have brought us life and light. Alleluia. And now the sixth verse, now no more can death appall. Now no more the grave and thrall. You have opened paradise and your saints, and you shall rise. Alleluia. What a terrific verse this is. You know, we're still, we're still, uh, Christians too are still fearful of death at times. I mean, that's just part of our old Adam. But uh, when, we, when we think of how Christ has conquered sin, death, and the devil, now no longer can death appall us. Uh, we we have his own body and blood uh, as as that assurance that he protects us even in death. 
Our soul goes to be with our Lord Jesus. Now no more does the grave enthrall. Oh, the grave is sad. It seems so final. And we gather, we gather at the graves of our loved ones when we lay them to rest. And we shed tears just like everybody else. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Now no more the grave enthralls us. Uh, Christ has opened for us paradise. He's blasted through the barrier of sin and death. And he brings us. He brings us to the Father. He's open paradise, open paradise to us. That paradise is mentioned uh, at the crucifixion. Remember when? Let's see, mentioned at the crucifixion. Oh, yes, of course, where he says, uh, 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 he says, uh, Today. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Oh, he also told the thief on the cross next to him, this very day you'll be with me in paradise. Good point. Yes. Yeah, that that term paradise, that was a, in Judaism, that was a certain level of heaven, but we understand it to mean the time. It's called the interim between yes. the time that you die and your spirit is with Jesus until the time when your body is restored on the day of judgment. Yes. So that and it's a, it's a blissful existence too. Yes. That you have no pain, no sorrow, etc. Uh, that's one of the reasons we don't know what's going on on Earth, because we would be saddened many a time. So that's why death cannot appall, no more the grave enthrall, because paradise is open, and your saints in you shall rise. All right, I'll do stanza seven. Okay. Easter triumph, Easter joy, this alone can sin destroy. From sin's power, Lord, set us free, newborn souls in you to be. So, what is this saying? Well, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people feel like, well, we can only use this during Easter and Easter tide because it mentions Easter triumph, Easter joy. But you know, every Sunday, every Sunday is a little Easter. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper on on uh, every Sunday, we go back, we go back to that Easter joy every single Sunday. Whether it's even if it's during Lent, it's it's still Easter joy. Yeah, it is recommended this not be sung during Lent because of the hallelujahs in it. Good point. Good point. That's right. You're right. But technically, but outside of that, I mean, technically, it, Easter, a Sunday, we we always say this is a Sunday in Lent. It's not a Sunday of Lent. Yes. Yeah, I've never had a good explanation given to me when I asked the question. Why can't we sing Alleluia's on Sunday since it is not the season of Lent? The 40 days don't count the Sundays. Right. And nobody's really been able to give me an answer that's satisfactory. Well, at it's least. just like yeah, it, it, some, some, uh, some con- a lot of congregations will not have flowers on the altar at all during Lent, even on a Sunday. But really, I there's no pro. As far as I can see, there's no problem with uh, adorning your altar with flowers, even on uh, a Sunday in Lent. Yes, I'm uh, helping out of the congregation that doesn't have flowers uh, on Sunday during Lent, or during even the Wednesday services. 
What's the reason for that? Oh, I think it's a, I think it's a pious tradition. Not to have flowers. Not to have flowers. Yes, during Lent, it's a way of it's a way of uh, of conveying the 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 solemnness or the the yes. somberness of of the Lenten season. But it's not a rule that congregations no. have to follow. No, that'd be up to the individual congregation. Right. It's what we call adiaphora, neither commanded nor forbidden. Exactly. All right. Final verse, verse eight. Father, who the crown shall give, Savior, by whose death we live. Spirit, guide through all our days. Three in one, your name we praise. Alleluia. That's a doxological verse. If you look in the hymnal, there's a little triangle before it, which shows us as a doxological verse, we stand uh, for that final stanza. Now, you said you had done this for communion. When they got to that verse, did they stand? I believe so. I believe so. Uh, the congregation is, uh, well, you know, that's a good question. I, I I think if the organist signals, you know, the organist, I forget what they call that, when they kind of introduce the doxological verse. Yes, uh, right. If the organist is uh, able to signal that, I think a lot of times the congregation, and if there's a few, uh, if there's even a few individuals in the congregation that know this is a doxological, this is a, this verse talks about the Holy Trinity, and if they stand, I think everybody else joins in standing. But not always. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, my wife sits near the front, and so a lot of times when they see her standing, <laughs> they know they need to stand. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah, Louise is a pretty good leader on that, I'm sure. Well, she she just loves the hymns and uh, uh, hymns when they have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That yeah. you called it a doxological hymn. Now, Father, who the crown shall give? What crown are we talking about? Uh, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give unto thee the crown of life. Exactly. You're really good at bringing in Bible verses to explain, and that would be another verse that you could attach to this hymn. Right. Uh, the crown of life is in distinction to the crown of thorns that Jesus had, but the crown of life means that we, too, are considered royal from God's point of view, because we have the righteousness of Christ in us, and therefore we're justified by grace through faith. Right. It's a great hymn, isn't it, Tom? Right. And then when it says, Savior, by whose death we live, there it seems to be another kind of irony there, that by the death of the Savior, we end up living. Why yeah. does that occur? His death has defeated death. We find that and, theme in other hymnody. His death uh, has defeated death. And how does it defeat death? Because because of the resurrection. Takes, uh, no, it takes away from us the sting of death. The, what, what is the sting of death? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord right. and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well said. 
In other words, by his death, he paid the price that we should be paying for our sins. He died for our sins. There's so many people that don't understand that. I mean, how many times have you had members who may be near death or something, and they're worried that they're going to go to heaven because they know they have many sins? You mean hell? Yeah. They're worried they're going to hell. No, no, they're worried that they're going to heaven. Oh, <laughs> they're worried about, they're worried going, about to going to heaven. They don't think they're good enough. I see. Oh, yes. Then you really got to bring to bear the gospel for that person. That, that person. They, you need to remind them of their baptism and all those promises connected with God's word. Uh, and according uh, to this verse, you need to once more tell them about the necessity of the Christ, the death of Christ, and what were the benefits we received from his death. Yes. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and salvation. Yes, there's many, many benefits that the Christian receives. And so the last line, Spirit guide through all our days, three in one, your name we praise. I had an individual wondering why the Holy Spirit isn't talked that much in some of our readings. And I went back and showed him where those readings were. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. In the Lambs, at the Lambs High Feast, we sing. I'll be using it this Sunday. You used it last Sunday. And thanks very much for your explanation, especially as you quoted Bible verses. So next week, we'll have another hymn. And tomorrow, we'll be talking about Proverbs. Until then... God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.